0: Good evening. Thank you very much, Mr. and Mrs. Kravitz, for offering this kind of hospitality. We enjoyed it. Thank you. I would like to talk today on angels and angelology. You all heard about the word angels, but probably not in the context of the following conversation. Let me start by saying that for a 1,000 years, there was a temple in Jerusalem from the 10th century in the days of David and Solomon, 10th century before the Common Era, until the year 70 of the Common Era. Those are 10 centuries, 1,000 years. So again, for 1,000 years, there was a temple in Jerusalem. In this temple, there was a particular challenge. Unlike any other temple in the world, That temple was not allowed to have nearly any physical representation of the holy. There was no visual image of the sacred. As you recall in the Ten Commandments, we are told that we may not have any image, nor icon, nor picture, nor sculpture to express the magnitude and the greatness of the deity. And yet, there was a temple. They had to have something to share with the people who had come. What would they do? They would use a genius invention. They would use imagination in order to glorify the deity, in order to explain the magnitude of the creator. And if we would start by saying that for 1,000 years there was a temple in Jerusalem, We should say that for 1,000 years, there were Levites and priests, or priests and Levites, who were serving there. Those priests and Levites were exceptional people, while all the Israelites were farmers and shepherds, people who had to work to furnish their families, as as always people have to do. As you recall, Jacob, our father, had 12 children. So we were divided to 12 tribes. All the tribes were perfectly equal to each other. All the tribes were given lots of the land in the days of Joshua. All the tribes had to work hard for their work. But there was one tribe, the tribe of Levi, the third child of Jacob, who was a different tribe, while everybody else, again, was absolutely equal. There was no preference to anybody. The, The tribe number three. Reuven, Shimon, Levi, the tribe number three, Levi, was an exception. The Levites were not given land. The Levites had no part in the country. There were people with no income, people with no land. Why was that? Because of the ancient word which means free time paid by others in order to do scholarship. The word scholarship in English is derived from the Greek word which means free time funded by others, designated for the sake of scholarship. The Levites were the scholars. In order to be a scholar, you need two things. First of all, you have to have free time from handwork. You cannot be a scholar if you have to get up early in the morning to milk the cows, to shepherd the herds, to do the farming work. Those are very hard works. In antiquity, before technology, before, before electricity, before all the advance, advancements of modern uh, developments, people had to work very hard. so. The Jewish tradition designated one tribe who would be exempted from handwork. However, they were not intended to be lazy. They intended to work very hard, but on a different kind of work, on the word of commemoration, education, reading, writing, transmitting, ritualizing, and put a lot of thought into how to do that. They were the educators. They were those who formed the tradition, imparted the tradition, commemorated the tradition. And in fact, it is a great deal that we owe to this Levitical tribe for the very sake that we are around. I had said in a different lecture that we need to remember that most people of antiquity are not with us anymore. Nobody speaking Sumerian, nobody speaking Babylonian, nobody speaking Egyptian hieroglyphic Egyptian, nobody speaking Phoenician, Hivites, Frisites—all those languages of ancient people. Those were great people. However, they didn't have a priestly tribe who was in charge on transmitting knowledge, on forming memory, on ritualizing identity. The priestly tribe in antiquity was in charge precisely on those things. As I said, they were working in very hard conditions, because while every other temple had the benefit of art, had the benefit of visual expression of ideas which were valuable. But since in the Bible we are told that we may not have any sculpture or any picture or any physical expression of the sacred, They had to work on a different ground. They had invented the angels in order to express all the values that they cared for. They told and retold stories from antiquity. But they told us that every valuable thing had to do with angels. So that was point number one. Why do you need angels? Because you cannot express abstract values without some kind of expression. Think for a moment, how can you give an expression for justice, for truth, for peace, for knowledge, for creativity, if you are not allowed to have any icons for that? How do you? express justice or truth or knowledge if you're not allowed to have sculptures, if you're not allowed to have pictures, if you're not allowed to have any engraved form to express abstract ideas. They resolved this problem by inventing a whole imaginary world where those ideas were associated with divine beings. I want to give you one short example. How do they describe the heavenly temple? I'm reading a text from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is called Songs of the Sabbath Sacrifice. Those are hard texts. They're not easy, because they're supposed to reflect the language of the angels. The language of the angels is biblical Hebrew with unbelievable syntax. They don't speak in any clear syntax. They speak in a very flourishy kind of a syntax, like from flowers. Spirits of knowledge, of truth, and of righteousness in the holy of holies. Forms of living divine beings, images of luminous spirits. All their deeds are of holy things, of wondrous unifications. Figures of the shapes of divine beings, engraved round and round. Glorious images of the sapphire pavement, of splendor and majesty. And the images of their figures are holy angels. From underneath the wondrous devirim comes the sounds of quiet stillness, the heavenly beings blessing, blessing the kings, praising God continuously." Now, this is the English translation, which is easier than the Hebrew origin. The Hebrew origin is even harder than the English translation. Carol Newsom had translated those songs in the in her work with John Strugnell, Both of them were working on the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls is one of the three treasures that that came for us from antiquity. When we ask what kind of knowledge, what kind of sources of knowledge do we have, about what was going on in the first millennium before the Common Era. The answer is we have three libraries. One is the biblical library, which was in the formative process all along the first thousand years before the Common Era. Number two is the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are composed of 930 different scrolls, all of it, with no exception are all of this library is composed of sacred writings about God, about the angels, about history of Israel. That was written in various periods along the first millennium before the Common Era. The third library is known as the pseudoepigrapha or apocrypha, which means books which were written by Jews for other Jews and were censored by other Jews. One more time, the last one, apocrypha or pseudoepigrapha. Those are books which were written by Jews for Jews and were censored out by other Jews. So, as you understand, those three libraries, the Bible, the pseudoepigrapha and the Dead Sea Scrolls, tell us a great deal about the cultural context of antiquity. I know most of us are interested in what happened today, yesterday, last month, last year. Few of of us are interested in what happened, let's say, a decade ago. Very few are interested what had happened a century ago. I'm interested in what had happened millennia ago. Now, I find it absolutely fascinating to find out what were people fighting about 3,000 years ago, what were the ideas that they found most important and most vital that would deserve attention? Literary expression, literary analysis, poetical poetical creativity. Those are things that had shaped us directly and indirectly, because all the great ideas of the Jewish people, most, not all, but most of the great ideas of the Jewish people were formed in antiquity. That is in the first 1,000 years before the Common Era and the last two centuries, two, three centuries of the uh, second millennium. But basically, just to make it simpler, we would talk on the 1,000 years before the Common Era. So if we understand that the first problem that they had is the prohibition to express sacredness in any tangible way other than in imaginary language, the second problem was that they did not acknowledge the word nature. Now, that's important. The word nature, which seems so obvious, so natural, (laughs) is not to be found in the Bible. The Bible knows nothing on nature. It has everything to say about creation. There is a fundamental difference between nature and creation. Nature is not dependent on any creator, while creation is absolutely dependent on a creator. And we're not talking now at all on the scientific question whether there was a creation or not. That's not at all the topic. According to the Bible, there was a creation done by God. There are various stories of the creation, and I would like to read to you the very beginning of creation according to the priestly tradition. What is the first thing, do you think, that God would create according to the priestly tradition? Any guess? Angels, of course. Angels are the counterpart of priests, thus they were the, their They would be the first thing that God would create. In the book of Jubilees, the angel of the countenance is telling Moses what had happened in the 49 Jubilees that he was not around. A Jubilee in the book of Jubilees is a unit of 49 years. Moses is standing on Mount Sinai. And after the day that he had received the law, in the 15th of the third month, he is standing on Monday on the 16th of the third month. And the angel of the countenance is telling him the following. And the angel of the countenance told Moses at God's command, write all the words of creation. For on the first day he, God, for in the first day, he created the upper heavens, the earth, the waters, and all the spirits who serve before him. The angels of the countenance, the angels of holiness, the angels of the spirits of fire, the angels of the spirits of the currents, and the angels of the spirits of the clouds, angels of darkness, ice, frost, dew, snow, hail, and hoarfrost, and the angels of thunders, and the angels of the storm winds, and the angels of the winds of cold, of heat, of winter, of summer. the the spirits of his creatures, which he made in the heavens and which he made in the earth and in everything, the abyss, the darkness, dawn, light, the dusk, which he prepared with his knowledge. Then we, the angels, then we saw his deeds and blessed him on account of all his deeds. And we praised him in his presence, because he made seven great works on the first day." (laughs) Now, this is a very interesting retelling of the story of the first day of Genesis. Because in the Bible, as we know it, it's much thinner description. We know that in the beginning, God had created heaven and earth. However, the book of Jubilees written by the priesthood in the middle of the second century before the common era is adding to the biblical story the presence of the angels. If you could follow what I read, there are two kinds of angels: angels of knowledge, angels of countenance, angels of sacredness, and so on, and angels of various phenomena of nature. Because according to the priestly literature, there is no such thing as nature. Everything is a divine creation. Everything is precalculated, predetermined by divine crea- creative process it is eternal and it is taken care by the angels who are the angels of sun or the angels of moon or the angels of wind or the angels of every what we would call a natural phenomena so this is sort of animation of the natural phenomena. But what the meaning of it is that we should not take for granted anything that we see. It is not just happened to be there winds or sun or hail or frost. It is part of a divine scheme of what we would call the great cycles of nature. Only they would call it the great cycles of creation. Creation is an ongoing process which is directed by the angels who were commanded by God to carry on these natural phenomena. So the angels are divided to those who are in charge on the visible things, like natural phenomena, and those who are in charge on the invisible things. What's the invisible? Truth, justice, knowledge, sanctity, sacredness all the abstract ideas which have no iconographic expression. The angels are those who are in charge on those ideas. So in a sense, we can learn from that that the priests are in charge on natural phenomena and the priests are in charge on knowledge and sacredness. Because whatever the angels are in charge on, the priests are their reflection, or vice versa. Whatever a priest is in charge on, an angel in heaven is a parallel to his work. Why did they need it? I return to what I started with. It is very hard to express the invisible, The only nation who had invisible gods were the Jews. All the other nations had visible gods, you know, sculptures of this, sculptures of that. If you have been in India, you have seen the sculptures of Buddha. If you have been in South America, you have seen the sculptures of the local cultures, the Aztecs, and so on. All cultures had visible expression of the divine powers. The Jewish people had no such expression. They had invented it in their imagination, expressing the eternal, the cyclical, the precalculated, the predetermined. What would be the most important idea of the Jewish people? The eternal cycles of time. Time of work and time of rest. And because of that, the angels would be in charge on time as well, exactly as the priests are. I said the other day that the word watch is derived from the priestly watch. The the word watch, watching time, is derived from the priestly watch. Because priests and angels together were nominated or in charge to watch the cycles of time. Think about it for a moment. What is the most important thing, which is eternal? Those are the divisions of time. Because what doctors do when somebody is losing his uh, consciousness, they ask him or her what time it is, what day it is today, in order to regain orientation, in order to be a human being with consciousness, you have to be able to say, whether it is day or night, whether it is yesterday, today, or tomorrow, whether you are part of any time perception. According to the priestly lore, time was sacred. Time was precalculated by God, and the watchers of time cycles were in the hands of priests and angels. They would express it in numerous ways, in poetry, in singing, in ritual, in sacrifices, in numerous ways, as long as they would be able to say, time is eternal, time is sacred, time is divided to days of work and to days of rest. Time is divided to days of scholarships every Shabbat and to days of work every six days of the week. The whole entire Jewish community, with no exception, as well as all those who dwelt with the Jewish community, had day off every seven days, and this day off was a day of schooling, Mikra Kodesh. Mikra'ei Kodesh, which means holy convocation for reading. The priests were in charge on teaching. In the blessing of the uh, in the blessing for the tribes in the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is telling to each one of the tribes his future and his vocation. To his brothers, the Levites, he says, I'll say it in Hebrew. You, the Levites, should teach the Torah to the children of Israel, to the sons of Jacob. You, and no others, you, the Levites, are in charge on doing that. Now, every Jew, every one of the Israelites, was welcome to engage in the study of the Torah according to his capacity and will. Only the Levites were in charge on teaching it to the others. So study was expected from everyone, but teaching was was commanded only upon the Levites. Everyone would be invited every seventh day to engage in the process of of study. But somebody has to teach. The teachers were the Levites. Those, as I said before, had no land and had no work and had no manual work. They were free of having any kind of uh, land work. They were People without income, they were supported by the people. Why would the people support them? Because they taught the children, because they taught the people, because they monitored time. They had had a whole lot of ritual duties. What is the word temple? Temple, as you know, is a word that is coming from Latin. What is temp? Time, not just time. Temp in Latin is time. In French, in Italian, temp, yeah? Temp, like in English, temporary. Temp is from time. Temple is a place where time is watched. Temple is a place where time is counted. Because in antiquity, that was the only place that you could have made long-durée calculations of time. Everyone can say yesterday, tomorrow, or the next seven days, but nobody could do independently calculations of. Many many years of follow years every seventh years, of jubilees every 49 years, of 49 times 49. Somebody has to calculate it. Somebody has to monitor the time. Somebody have to devise the system how to monitor time. The priests were doing it with the angels. That means they were offering a whole a whole Lot of different, a uh, whole kinds of different systems to ca- to count, to calculate, and to monitor time. Number one system was sacrifices. Number two system was incense. Number three was singing, and number four was the priestly watch. Time was so important that they would do everything in their capacity to monitor it and to make sure that they are not mistaken. Singing means that every day of the year would have a special song noting it. So only in Wednesday, the first of the first month, you would sing the particular song of Wednesday of the first month. Who had composed those songs? Who is in our tradition called Neim Zmirot Israel? David. David, David King David, David, was the one the tradition is ascribing to. The writing of thousands of songs, a song for 10 songs for every day of the year in a year that had 364 days. 360 days had 10, day, 10 songs per day composed by King David. So does the priestly tradition telling us. So there were, there were in antiquity 3,600 psalms which were sung by the Levites. 10 per every day. After he had composed 3,600 psalms, and we found quite a few of them among the Dead Sea Scrolls, he had composed 52 songs for the Sabbath. I would like to read to you one of those songs of the Sabbath in a year of 364 days that you divide by seven, you would have 52 Sabbaths, right? For each one of those Shabbatot, David had composed a song. This song is describing the way that the angels are singing. The angels are called, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, the priests of the inner sanctum. The angels are called Kohanei Korev, or the priests of the inner sanctum. So he said, by the Maskil. Songs of the sacrifice of the seven Sabbaths on the 16th of the second month. Praise the God of the lofty heights, O you lofty ones among all the gods of knowledge. Let the holiest of the godlike ones sanctify the King of glory, who sanctifies by holiness all his holy ones. O you chiefs of the praises of all the godlike beings, praise this pla- praise this splendid play, praise this splendid, praiseworthy God. For in the splendor of praise is the glory of his realm. From it comes the praise of all the godlike ones, together with the splendor of all his majesty. Exalt, exalt to the heights, you most godlike ones of the lofty gods, and exalt his glorious divinity above all the lofty heights. For he is God of gods of all the chiefs of the heights of heaven, and king of kings of all the eternal council, By the intention of his knowledge, at the words of his mouth come into being all the lofty angels. At the utterance of his lips, all the eternal spirits. By the intention of his knowledge, all his creatures in their their undertaking. Sing with joy you who rejoice in his knowledge, with rejoicing among the wondrous godlike being. Chant his glory with the tongues of all who chant with knowledge. And chant his wonderful songs of joy with the mouths of all who chant with him. For he is God of all who rejoice in knowledge forever and judge in his power of all the spirits of understanding. Thank all you majestic gods, the king of majesty, for his glory do all the gods of knowledge confess. And all the spirits of righteousness admit his faithfulness. And they make acceptable their knowledge according to the judgment of his mouth. And their thanks do they make acceptable at the return of his powerful hand for judgment of recompense. Sing praises to the mighty God with the choicest spiritual portion, that there may be melody together with divine joy. And let there be a celebration with all the holy ones, that there may be wondrous songs together with eternal joy." With this, let all the foundations of the Holy of Holies praise, the uplifting pillars of the supremely lofty abode, and all the corners of its structure sing praise to God, who is dreadful in power, all your spirits of knowledge and light in order to exalt together this splendidly shining firmament of his holy sanctuary. Give praise to him, O you godlike spirits, in order to praise forever and ever the firmament of the uppermost heaven, all its beams and its walls, all its form, the work of its structure. The spirits of holiest holiness, the living godlike being, spirits of eternal holiness, above all the holy ones, wonder, marvelous in majesty, and splendor and wonder. And the God of glory is wondrous with the most perfect light of knowledge. In all the wondrous sanctuaries, the godlike spirits are round about the abode of the king of truth, righteousness, and justice. This is the song of the priest who urges the angels to sing all what I've right now read. The priests are urging the angels to praise, to extol, to sing, to describe but while they're doing it they are those who are singing chanting describing extolling and so on and so forth they create what rudolf otto called mysterium tremendum mysterium from mystery tremendum from tremore in latin it's like that when you shake tremore mysterium tremendum is the fear of the sancti of the sanctus the fear of the Horrible, endless, mighty, infinite God. However, while God Himself is beyond human perception, the angelic beings who are describing Him could be imitated and could be shared by the priestly. Levites, by those who are able to describe this majestic imaginary world. This is all imagination. This is all literary creativity. But this is a literary creativity or imagination that creates a whole world. Now, I've read quite a few lines. There is not a single word there that has a tangible expression. It is all abstract, it is lofty, it is mighty, it is beautiful, but this is a creation of the imagination. The angels are the agents who are the middle ones between complete abstract imagination and some kind of human effort to describe the infinite, the tremendous, the beautiful, the sacred, the consecrated. All those things are the creation of a world which extend and transcend the tangible perception. Now, mysticism is exactly about that. The definition of mysticism is history of creative imagination, which strives to transcend borders of the senses, to transcend the borders of the tangible, to transcend the borders of the visible. The visible has limits. We can see only that much, that far, that deep. The imagination has no limits. The imagination creates a world which is far beyond the realms of beauty that humans can create. The imaginary temple in heaven is much more beautiful than any earthly temple on earth. They create through the imagination, through poetry, through inspiration, a heavenly temple, which is the most meaningful temple of all temples. Because the whole idea of the priestly tradition was that there is a temple in heaven, which is the archetype, and paradigm of the earthly temple. Now, that was an important notion because of the following. Earthly temples could be ruined. Earthly temples could be destroyed and were destroyed. But heavenly temples are untouchable. Because of that, the priest prophet Ezekiel, in the beginning of the sixth century before the common era, could have said to his listeners that he had been granted a vision where he saw in the river Kebar, the reflection of the heavenly temple, where there were golden cherubim, where there were wings, there were all kinds that's chapter chapter one of Ezekiel, which is called the vision of the chariot He had seen he had been shown in a reflection in the river, the heavenly temple that when the temple when the heaven were open and the temple was shown to him in his vision, in the water reflection, he could assure his listeners that while the earthly temple in Jerusalem was ruined by Nebuchadnezzar in the year 597 before the Common Era, the heavenly temple is forever and ever. This belief was of mighty importance because, When the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in the decade between 597 to 587 before the common era, nobody knew when the next temple would be built, if it would ever be built. It took 70 years until the second temple would be rebuilt. But the second temple was nothing like the first temple. However, the most important temple is the heavenly temple. Because of that, This book of mine is called The Three Temples. The earthly temple, the first temple, the second temple, and the heavenly temple. The heavenly temple, where priests, where heavenly priests are serving, where eternal cycle of times are kept when sacrifices of spirit are offered, is the most important temple and the eternal one. The earthly temple, and there was a temple in Jerusalem for 1,000 years according to biblical historiography, the earthly temple was but a reflection, a narrow reflection of the infinite, beautiful, heavenly temple, the one that I just read to you some of its description. There are certain songs of this kind that were found in Qumran, which are a quarter of the 52 Sabbath songs which were authored by David, according to this historiography. Each one of them is beautiful. Each one of the songs starts, as I read one more time the beginning of this song, by the Maskil, Songs of the Sacrifice of the Seven Sabbaths on the 16th of the Second Month. Now, each one of these songs starts with a date, because the first Sabbath of the first month would always be in the fourth of the first month. The second Sabbath would be in the 11th of the, fourth, of the first month. The third one would be in the 18th of the f- first month, and so on and so forth. Each one of the 52 Sabbaths of the year has a date, a prefixed date, pre-calculated date, and exact time in relation to the other Shabbatot and the other holidays. According to the ancient priestly calendar, never a holiday would fall on a Sabbath. It's impossible. Like it happened today to us according to the sages' calendar, but it would never have happened according to the priestly calendar. Because according to the priestly calendar, the year starts in the first of the first on Wednesday, Thus, the first Sabbath would be the fourth of the first, and the second Sabbath would be the 11th of the first month. The first holiday would be Tuesday, the 14th of the first month. This is Pesach. Consecutively, that's the holiday of the 11th bread of seven days. The next holiday would be the holiday of raising of the sheaf in the 26th of the first month, and seven Shabbatot later, there would be the holiday of Shavuot, the holiday of weeks, the holiday of Matan Torah. And later, in the first of the seventh months, always, always on Wednesday, there would be Memorial Day, that's Rosh Hashanah later on. In Wednesday, in the following Wednesday, sorry, in the following Friday, in the tenth of the seventh month, would be Yom HaKippurim. And in the following Wednesday, there would be Sukkot. Those are the seven appointed time of the Lord in the first seven months of the years, all guarded by angels. Each one of the holidays is related in some of the stories in the Book of Jubilees, which are retelling the stories of Genesis. With addition, each one of the stories of Genesis has a date associated with one of the holidays. Each one of these stories has something to do with angels, who are the eternal counterparts of the priests. Now, angels are eternal. As you you remember when I started the reading, angels were created in the first day. The angels are those who choose Levi to become the priestly tribe. And he turned to Levi first and began to bless him first. And he said to him, may the Lord, the God of all ages, bless you. May he draw you and your seed near to him from all flesh to serve in His sanctuary, as the angels of the countenance and as the holy ones. For he has established among the eternally holy the holiest of the holy ones. And they have become for him priests of the inner sanctum, in his royal sanctuary, minister of the countenance in his glorious Dvil. You want Yeah, you had a question about the angels, were they were they just spiritual beings? Yes, they, yes, of they course. They, have, they are Holy Spirits. They had no earthly functions like living in a someplace no, no. Angels of no any angels. Angels, according to the Jewish priestly tradition, are holy spirits, are absolutely abstract spirits. They have no bodily shape nor any bodily functions. They are absolutely imaginary spirits. But those imaginary spirits are the counterpart of the very earthly priests and Levites who are serving in the temple, watching and monitoring the time cycle through songs and sacrifices. Are these the same angels that are mentioned in the Bible? Well, the Bible had been going through a process of reduction where the angels of antiquity were somewhat suppressed, the Bible is not too keen on angels, with the exception of psalms, which is priestly work, with a lot of angels uh, when a lot of angels are mentioned. but in general, the priestly literature is much richer with angels, while the Bible is somewhat suppressing the angelic traditions, and the sages in the Mishnah have no angels, none whatsoever so from that we understand that where there is a priestly literature, there is plenty of angels. Where there is sages literature, angels are deleted. Somewhere in the Bible there are, there are visions of the angels with actual descriptions of what they look like. Yes, but that's different. Okay. Um. This is not that kind of angels, this is messengers. The word angel in Hebrew has two meanings. One is a messenger, and this is not what I've been talking about, and one is a spiritual being, and that's what I was talking about. Angel as messenger can come like the three angels that had visited Abraham. Angel as messenger can come to Manoah, uh, to uh, the wife of Manoah, telling about the birth of Samson. But that's a different kind of an angel. This is a messenger, OK? Actually, I'm talking about the vision
1: That's Isaiah. Yes, that's Isaiah. Are
0: they described, with, they described with wings? Yes, but that's the only thing you can say about them, that they have wings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you can't say any other thing. You can't say that they have this or that. About the description in that text also colors or gems. No, things. no, 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 no. They, they have six wings in order to cover their face or their body so they would be invisible. OK. seraphim? Yeah. The, Yes, 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 yes. Seraphim or angels or cherubim, all of them are beings of invisible kind, which could be seen only by prophets for a glare of a moment. But they are not visible for any usual human beings. Okay. In the same way, we can say that in the temple in Jerusalem, there were two cherubim above the holy ark. However, nobody could have seen them because there was one person once a year who could enter to the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest. However, he was entering with closed eyes behind a a screen of incense. Heavy incense was burned so he would enter like within a cloud so he would not be able to see anything. It is important to note that the Jewish tradition demands, hearken, O Israel, or hear, O Israel, but never says, see, O Israel. We are people of the ear and not people of the eye. Everything valuable, according to Jewish tradition, is an audible thing, what you have been told, what you have been heard, what we have described to you, not what you would have witnessed with your own eyes. Human sight is always limited, is always biased, is always dependent on various things. When you hear something, you can perceive it with a full scope of your imagination. When you see something, you are limited to the tangible limits of the eye. When I describe this beautiful heavenly temple, as I described in this Song of of the Angels, you can imagine what it is sapphire pavement or what it is luminous firmament. You can imagine it in your mind without the constraint of the physical. That's the audible tradition, when God is not being seen by anybody, but is being heard by the people. Because of that, we are told, am ro-im and the people were seeing the voices. Can you see a voice? No, you can hear a voice. But in order to express the extraordinary moment of the Sinai revelation, when a voice was speaking, they said, and the people witnessed the voice. They had heard the voice. They didn't see the speaker. They had heard the voice. For our purpose, any voice that is uttered aloud and clear could be heard through the generations, because a voice which is recorded in writing or a voice which is ritualized ritualized in recitation could be heard generation after generation. Every Shabbat, when you go to the temple and you listen to the Torah being read, you are listening to the same voice that 3,500 years ago was speaking in Sinai to the people who had heard it, and it is said in the Bible, it's not you only—you who are standing there in the Sinai, in the Mount Sinai, Revelation—who witnessed this voice. It's for all generations, from generation to generation. You cannot see that. You cannot say that on any kind of a visible thing, because visible is something that you see with your own eyes. You cannot see what had been three thousand years ago, but you can hear. If the Words of the vision or the words of the revelation are written down, are memorized, are transmitted from generation to generation. You can hear it just as if it was said today or yesterday. The preference of the ear upon the limits of the eye are one of the most important markers of the Jewish people. As you know, in a Jewish synagogue, I'm not talking on American synagogues, I'm talking on traditional Jewish synagogues, in a Jewish synagogue, there was nothing on the wall. There was no decoration, there was no picture, there was no engraving. There would be an ark. on the ark, there would always be a beautiful curtain with embroidery, the women would do the best embroidery they can, but the walls would be bare, the windows would be bare unlike in any common christian church the windows would be colorful because they are telling a story through pictures most of the people didn't know to read in the christian world and the and the colorful windows were a way to convey the stories for those who didn't know to read they could see the shepherd the uh, the various symbols of the new testament on the windows, on the colorful windows. We never had in any synagogue any visual representation of the biblical stories until the 20th century. In the 20th century, you know, we adopted all kinds of uh, various uh, cultural assets from the surrounding, and we also do pictures and sculptures and things like that. But until the 20th century, the walls would be white. The only decoration would be what we call shiviti, which is the name of God with different punctuation on the wall. The letters would be there, not an image. There would be no image in a synagogue of any kind. There would be white walls or gray walls or blue walls. There would be no image and no visual representation of the holiness. There were there would always be a book and the book would always be read aloud. The book is not closed for the mevinim, the book is not closed for any excellent circle. The book is for everyone to hear. The book was read aloud every Shabbat from the times of Moses and Aaron until today. Every week in all Jewish communities in a course of 3000 years. So even if we can even if we can express profound criticism on various sides of the Jewish people and Jewish history, we cannot but express a great, a great appreciation to a nation and a tradition that had transmitted through three millennia and more the idea that freedom and reading and rest are combined for the purpose of the whole entire community. Imagination was free. Imagination was allowed for everyone. It was not restricted to any particular person. Prophets could become from any tribe. Priests must be only from the Levitical tribe. The priests were in charge on the ritual commemoration, on the annual repetition, on the daily teaching. But prophets, those people who can visualize with their imagination and transmit their vision, could be from any tribe, among all the Israelites. If we would use it in our language, poets and writers who, have blessed, who are blessed with imagination could come from any corner of the people. The teachers, those who are in charge of the transmission, could have been only from the Levitical tribe until the destruction of the temple. For the last 2,000 years, the sages had decided that we dispense with angels. There is no need for them anymore, with one exception, in the priestly house, which is the synagogue. The synagogue started as a priestly venue, while the Bet HaMidrash, the house of study, had started as the venue of the sages. In Bet HaMidrash, there are no angels and never were. In the synagogue, the priestly venue, there are angels. In the synagogue, there are prayers with the angels. Angels are mentioned. Angels are, you remember, Malachia Asharet, you know, when we, as we say in Friday. But this is priestly remnants of ancient culture that had angels in every possible aspect. Let me conclude by reading one more angelic song. Another one of the songs of the Sabbath. With those seven times refined and with the holy ones, God will sanctify an everlasting sanctuary for himself and purity among the creatures. And they shall be priests, the people of his righteousness, his host, and servants, the angels of his glory, shall praise him with marvelous prodigies. By the maskil, a song, praise the name of his holiness, and exalt him all who know justice. They who guard the way of God and the path of his holiness. For the saints of his people, by the discerning knowledge of God, he placed Israel in 12 camps. The lot of God with the angels of the luminaries of his glory, in his name praises. He established them for the set times of the year, and the common government to walk in the lot of God according to his glory, and to serve him in the lot of the people of his throne for God." Now, those ideas that are associated with the angels are the ideas that the priests wanted to impart for the people. But while people are mortals, and people are living on the planet only for a certain time, Angels are eternal. So the priest said, eternity is most important. Because of that, every important idea should be associated with eternity. How do we work on eternal ideas? You just think about it. From the days of Genesis until today, we are counting Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, or the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, and the Sabbath. This is the Jewish invention of the unit of time, which has been shared with all the world today. But this is a Jewish invention about the holy cycle of time, when every six days you work, and in the seventh day you rest, The very same numerical system of minding time or counting time has been imparted from antiquity until today. Nobody is questioning the fact that a week is a unit of work and rest. But nobody remembers usually that this is a Jewish contribution for the humanity at large. There is no unit of that kind in antiquity for any other culture or nation. But the priest, the clever priest, had made sure that it would be forever and ever. Because of that, in the first page of Genesis, you are taught to count the days. Because of that, they said, the angels are those who keeping the Sabbath. Those who keep the Sabbath, those who keep the covenant, are the angels and the Israelites, their counterparts. So they say, what are the angels like? They are keeping the Shabbat. They are circumcised in some kind of an abstract way. (laughs) And they are part of the covenant. So they say, the Israelites are circumcised. They are part of the covenant. And they are keeping the Shabbat. So the angels are the archetype of the Israelite, the ideal. Of course, not the practical day-to-day Jews, but the ideal of the Israelite who are to remember the sanctity of time, the eternity of knowledge, and the endless commemoration of identity from creation to the future. All of that is about angels, and I've said much more about it in this book, which is devoted to angelology and heavenly temples. Thank you very much. I, I want to start off with in the book of Genesis. There are these weird stories about, I think, angelic beings, or certainly some kind of beings that come down to earth. Mm-hmm. Who are yeah? Who are they, and do they relate anything to angels that you were talking about? Are they totally yeah. different? Well, in the book of Genesis, there is a famous story starting with the sentence. And the Son of God had seen the daughter of men, that they are fair. And they coveted them. And they came down to earth. And they united with them. And the result of this unification were the giants. And the giants are the cause of the flood. Why? Because this unification, which transcended natural borders, had produced monsters. Because what is a monster? A monster is a creature which was created out of natural order. Because anything in nature, nature, anything born within nature, nature provides for it its food. Anything that was created outside of nature is a monster because there is no food for monstrous being. They are not part of the food chain in nature. You may recall the story of the Minotaurus in Crete. What is a Minotaurus? That's that's half, half, half a human being and half a taurus, a show um, ox. Ox. Uh, uh, ox. Ox. ox, half an ox, yeah, yeah. An ox. A, bull, a bull or ox. Anyhow, half a human being and half an ox. There is no food for a minotaur. What did they have to feed him with? with virgins. <laughs> but, yeah, well, that, that, you know, but the point is that there is no natural food that could say it a Minotaur. The story of the descending angels is the story of the crime of the eyes. What is it said? And the sons of God had seen, had watched, had seen, the daughter of men, that they are fair, and they coveted them. So it is an example of the sins of the eyes which had caused the. Un- prohibited unification between mortals and immortals, which had produced the monstrous being known as the Giants. The Giants, who didn't have anything to eat, had devoured everything amongst them, including animals, people, trees, and so on and so forth. As a result of that, the flood had come, because in Genesis it said, <coughs> aretz Hamas, and the earth was full of flawlessness. And the earth had cried to God, and God had brought the flood. So this story is the background of the flood. But what does it mean? It means that it's so very easy to ruin nature and to ruin creation. In creation, there is food and sustenance and life for everything within nature. As soon as we transcend borders of nature, if we unite prohibited things, if we mix uh, the wrong um, the wrong species, we would bound to cause a ruin. This is a very ecolo- ecological right. way of thinking, but it is also very true nature wise because What was born by nature, nature provides sustenance for that. What is produced out of nature, there is no chance for its survival. Thus, it is a threat. Thus, it would end with a catastrophe. So this is a story to teach people why there are all those commandments which prohibit to mix let's say wool and cotton you know it sounds so very strange why they don't want you to mix wool and cotton because the law of the bible says that you should separate between the species you should not unite a mule and a horse you should not make a mixed marriage between people who are of different kinds you should not mix different kind of uh, vegetables and plants because according to the biblical perception only things which can mate and have continued seed should brought be brought together and vice versa any kind of unification which would not produce a natural outcome is prohibited and forbidden so angels in this respect are used to be like to learn a, to learn a teaching to learn something how what you should do and what you should refrain from but those angels are not part of the angels that i talked about which are reflection of the priestly tribe who are transcending borders of time and space in order to create the eternal the universal the cyclical the precalculated and the most sacred things the cycles of time which would allow freedom liberty and scholarship so in many respects, the angels are just like the what my daughter's learning about the Greek world, where they had all their gods and goddesses for each of the seasons and the well ineffable qualities, love and war. And yes. However, they are non-physical beings; they are right. just spirits of. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, we'll yeah. Two questions. To start with there, Don. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you made a point how important um, the hearing, as opposed to seeing, yes. is, and how important the imagination is. And yet, at the beginning, you said that you needed the visual, you needed angels as visual representations because the imagination was somehow insufficient. I wonder if you could Well, that. not exactly. Not as visual representation, but as some kind of a medium to express ideas if you say justice justice is an abstract thing but if you say angels of justice you animate it with some kind of a being although it's an invisible being but you can work with you know you can say that angels of justice are praising god you cannot say justice is praising so you need some kind some kind of a middle being like angels which are invisible but they are Talkative, they are uh, ritualized, and so on and so forth. Uh, philosophers can explain concepts like justice and yeah. truth without visual representation. Well, but people can't perceive it. People perceive much better when you say, like for instance, in every Friday evening, you say, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom. Blessed are you, the angels of peace. Or blessed are you, the angels, uh, the, angel, the serving angels. Okay, Now you can say, we would love to have peace, but it's nicer to say, "Blessed are you, angels of peace." Okay, it's more communicable. It makes more sense, rhythm. Although the angels are abstract, so it is, as I said, it's a compound between the absolutely abstract idea and the some communicable measure of expression. Okay. Yes, please. I have a question about Levi's. Uh, my name is Rafael. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to say to yourself, thousands of years, how could I still be identified as a coin? On the other hand, every now and then I'll read a study about people who go out and they take the DNAs of thousands of people who say they are coins, And there is a, lot, a large number of them that fit into a single group. I don't do genetics, and I'm sure there are people here who are much better scientists in biology and genetics than I am. I would just say that every Cohen present in this room or in any other Jewish community his father was called Kohen, and his father was called Kohen, and his father was called Kohen. Because in order to become a Kohen, you have to be a son of a Kohen. Mothers don't count for that purpose, OK? The priestly tribe, Kohanim, thank you very much, you. Are, transpa- are passed through the generations only through the fathers. The rest of the Israelites are identified by their mothers. The priestly tribe is identified through the fathers, OK? Mm-hmm. So now, on the, as far as your first name, Raphael, which means God, he, God um, cure me, that's OK. It's one of the angels, which is mentioned, Raphael. Yeah. Raphael, Raphael no, no, Raphael. Raphael, yeah. all the names which ending with L, with the suffix L, once upon a time were names of angels Michael Gabriel Raphael and they are referring to different capacities of the angels which was bestowed which was bestowed by God upon them so there are angels of cure angels of peace angels of mercy angels of justice angels of power and so on and so forth i may say in general that angels express all the infinite virtues that human need and desire. All of us need health and peace and eternity and longevity and wisdom and justice. And we just attach it to the idea of the angels so we can communicate it in a better way. OK? Two more questions. Yes. Yeah. you got the first two right here. Go ahead. Okay. What about the angel, excuse me, that fought with Jacob and changed his name to Israel? Yeah, OK. The Bible is full of angel stories of different kinds, but those are not the angels that I spoke about. I spoke on the angels which are associated with the priest and priests which are associated with angels. So there are other angels, those which would we call uh, the mythical stories, because you need to offer an explanation, an theological explanation, to the particular dramatical nature of the patriarchs. So Jacob, who is the father of all the 12 tribes, has to be described not only in human terms, as he's well described, like with his love to Rachel, with his sorrow about his lost son Joseph, but he also has to be described in some transcending way, that he has some kind of a power, of an insight, of an imagination, which associate him with the transcendental. The story of the fight with the angel is one of those stories. To say that he was so strong that he could have fought with an angel, which is an exception, But but that belongs to a different source of stories. That would not be a priestly story. That would be a different source story, Yes. They taught him about the calendar, et was there any other humans who had direct contact with the angels? Or who would they be? Well, there are only two. One of them is Enoch, who was taken to heaven in order to study the calendar. In, yesterday we read in the book of Jubilee, have you been in this class? Yes. Okay. And I gave you a portion of Jubilee chapter four where they said that Enoch was taken to heaven in order to study the division of time, of years, of months, of Sabbaths, of Jubilees. So he was taken to heaven in order to become an excellent student. Ever since then, every Jewish mother is expecting her child to be an excellent student, although she is not an angel and he is no Enoch. But the expectation sort of stays in the tribe but the second person who is known to us that was taken to heaven is melchizedek and why is that according to the second book of enoch we have the list of the generations where it says that noah who is number 10 in the uh, in the list of the generations between adam to noah noah is number 10 noah had a brother his brother's name was neil and Nir had a son, his son was Melchizedek, so Melchizedek is number 11 in the history of the generations, and he was the one who had received all the priestly knowledge from the days of Enoch, who passed it to Methuselah, who passed it to his son Lemer, who passed it to Noah, his son, and to his brother Nir, and Nir was a priest, as it is described, and he passed the the priestly knowledge to Melchizedek. Now what had happened in this generation, in the generation of Noah, the flood, right? So Melchizedek was taken to heaven in order to keep the priestly knowledge from angelic source until the days of Abraham. So he was kept in paradise until the days of Abraham, when he was taken down and t- taught Abraham all the priestly knowledge about the calendar, about the songs, about the sacrifices, and so on and so forth. And all the details are in the book of Jubilees and should be read very eagerly. It's really a good reading. <laughs> so, OK. Eliao is a different story. <laughs> <laughs>